for a couple of weeks now. We have been in um, the series in Matthew 24 and 25 talking about the end of the world as we know it. And we're getting Jesus' first-hand testimony to how things are going to end up. Now, you might be like the person who, um, yeah, I see her in here. She's here. We start preaching on the end of the world, and she sends me a text photo of the ga- line at the gas station after she got out of church last week and said, you preach on trials and tribulations and disasters, and look what I got to do to get my gas tank filled. Certainly, if you um, have paid attention to the news at all this week, when Jesus says that you will hear of wars and rumors of war and trouble and tribulation, uh, you, didn't have, you didn't need to look very far to find that. You may be like me, have family members that called and said, they're calling in the National Guard, like right around you? People on the interstate, shutting the interstate down? Yeah, it happened right here. And the challenge with talking about contemporary issues like that is every single one of you have an opinion on this, and you may have even changed your opinion uh, between Tuesday and today. Here's the challenge. We cannot sit coolly by and be color commentators on things that are happening in our world. The Bible says that all men will know that we are his disciples by the... What's the word? All men will know you are, we are his disciples by the love we have for one another. And there's been something that's happened this week that's rated your ire and made you angry. Maybe it's current events. Maybe it's something a lot more personal, something that happened in your home or in your workplace. Friends, when we're dealing with issues like this, there is no clearer demonstration that the world needs the Word of God and the love of God demonstrated in practical ways. So my kids have told me the last couple of sermons have been scary, talking about the end of the world. It doesn't get any better here today. Didn't get any better this week. And so as we have the opportunity to embark in uh, looking at what else Jesus has to say about what will happen, I'd like for you to join me in a word of prayer. Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you help us not just to listen to your word, but you help us to live it. We are so mindful of um, the brokenness, the hurt, the hatred, the animosity, the rebelliousness, the unrighteousness, the tragedy that has happened here this week. And we may try to objectify it and make it about these people or those people. Father, this week has served as nothing else than an illustration of what is broken in our world, and it is us. We need you. I need you. And I pray that as we have the opportunity to look at your word and to see the absolute truth that you are coming back for us, Father, that that will encourage us to live more boldly for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll be page 701 in the Pew Bible in front of you if you want to follow along. The scriptures will be on the screen as well. Here's the challenge. There's, um, we saw a little bit of this last week as we kind of continue along in our series that there are people that think that when Jesus shows up, they're going to miss out. I don't know if you've ever uh, been that guy or that girl who... Um, you know, somebody's having a, a birthday party, and everyone in your third grade class gets invited, except for you. 
doggone it. Missing out. And some of you are having like terrible memories now. You're like, oh, don't bring that up. I'm trying to forget that. There is this, this desire that we have to not miss out on anything. And there is the temptation because it's happened in the history of the church where we think that perhaps maybe Jesus has come back and we just didn't know about it. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus came to the United States in 1914. You just weren't invited to the party. And so as we begin to look at this, look at verses 29 through 35, we're just going to see two things. There's a couple subpoints, but two real big ideas that I think uh, they, they function in a really odd way because when you listen to the words, it is terrifying, but it is glorious. And in a really strange way that God's word can both terrify and comfort us. It is, and, and, and dazzle us with its glory. It is comforting to know that God is in charge. And so our first point this morning is that Jesus' return will not be spiritual and secret, but as public as possible. There is not a chance that you will miss it. You may joke with your grandmother about what is happening in world events, that she didn't know that princes died. And who cares? She's not going to miss the return of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus' return will not be spiritual and secret, but as public as possible. Listen to verses 29 through 31. God's Word says this, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the celestial powers will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. There is no denying that when we deal with uh, scriptures related to the end times that there's going to be some things to wrestle with in the text. But one thing that we don't have to question at all when we talk about the public nature of Christ's return, your first sub-point is that all creation will be affected. All creation will be affected. You see what it says, the sun will be darkened, the moon won't shed its light. By the way, the moon doesn't have any light. The moon reflects the sun. So when the sun goes dark, the moon has no light to reflect. The stars will fall from the sky. People struggle. Is this language figurative? Is it literal? Is it literal stars falling? Is it a catastrophic meteor shower and it finishes up with the celestial powers will be shaken sun moon stars celestial powers all of them shaken all of creation affected this is not some isolated incident people who are theologically liberal a theological liberal is someone who believes that things that are supernatural cannot happen. Everything has to fit in the box of naturalism. So, crossing the Red Sea, not possible. It wasn't the Red Sea, it was actually the Reed Sea. And it was only two feet deep, and so they have a natural explanation for God's supernatural deliverance. Um, a global catastrophic flood? No, it was just that valley where Noah lived, where the flood happened. It wasn't a divine supernatural event. You can't do that here. This is not an isolated, this is cosmic in its significance. You can't explain this way. You can deny it, but you can't explain it away. It is the return of the Son of Man is heralded by a very fast-paced cosmic confirmation that no one will miss. 
I don't know what kind of hermit you would have to be to miss the sun darkening, the moon not shining, the stars falling from the sky, the celestial powers being shaken. This verse raises all kinds of interpretive issues because in verse 29, Jesus begins by saying immediately after the tribulation of those days. Bertrand Russell, famous American atheist, has said this related to that immediately, and this is where our interpretive challenge comes. Bertrand Russell says, Jesus certainly thought that his second coming would occur in clouds of glory before the death of all the people who uh, were living at that time. In that respect, Jesus was not so wise as some other people have been, and he was certainly not superlatively wise. His opinion on who Jesus is. What do we do with this immediately? And it seems that as we've wrestled with this over the last two weeks, that there is an interpretive challenge to either take all of these events and push them back into history, and we've talked about the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, or to push them all into the future and say nothing has been fulfilled at this point. It's all something that will happen in the future. We have argued over the last two weeks for uh, really what is a more nuanced, multi-perspective approach that sees Jesus both as preparing his disciples in the first century as well as his disciples in the 21st century. Along those lines, when we talk about this passage, immediately after the tribulation, all these things will happen, sun, moon, stars, celestial powers. It is impossible for us to see verse 30. In verse 31, the sign of the Son of Man in the sky, it's impossible to see that as being fulfilled in what happened in the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. I think it's very clear that Jesus is using this to refer to future events that are surrounding his return. we've walked through chapter 24 and he's talked about all kinds of things that will happen. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be famines. There will be earthquakes. There will be tribulations. There will be persecutions. uh, You'll be hated. All these bad things. And none of them are called signs. It's not until we get to verse 30, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear. What are all these other bad things that are happening? Well, the Bible's really clear. They're not signs. They are, uh, the Bible refers to them as the beginning of birth pains. They're they're not signs, they're birth pains. And the sign is this, whatever the sign of the Son of Man is. All of the other troubles are just kinds of tragedies that will lead up to the return of Christ. Now here's one thing that I think is interesting, and I'm going to, I don't have this on the screen, we're just going to flip to a couple uh, verses in the book of Ephesians. Because we understand what Jesus is saying, at least we understand the, the words the interpretation is another issue. We, we understand what he say, says when he talks about sun and moon and stars, but then he says the celestial powers will be shaken. Well, I love this because in the book of Ephesians, it talks about these celestial powers a number of times. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, God demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. <clears throat> Far above... Every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title that is given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. This is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. Perhaps the most well-known one, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, where Jesus tells us to put on the full armor of God so that we might resist the devil. Verse 12, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. What are these cosmic powers that will be shaken? Well, the sun, the moon, and the stars are the physical things that make up our world that will be shaken, and unfortunately, I hate to break it to you, the Bible says they will pass away. But it also says every spiritual power that exalts itself in rebellion against God will be shaken as well. These spiritual powers in the heavenly places that Jesus reigns supreme, not not only over the physical world, but over the spiritual world, over the cosmic powers in the heavenly places. Jesus says when he returns, you won't have to guess about it. You won't wonder if you've had your head stuck in the sand. It will be public. And the way that you will know it is that all of creation will be affected. But in verse 30, he says the second thing, that all people will see the sign. In verse 30, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the peoples of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I have no idea what this is. I have no idea what it is. What is the sign of the Son of Man? Most Bible scholars think that the sign of the Son of Man is Jesus actually appearing. He was not there one second. He's there another second. Boom, that's the sign. Is Actually, Jesus is showing up. One thing that's interesting, and this may be, this may be it. This may be the explanation. Mark and Luke also record this uh, saying of Jesus about coming back in glory. But Matthew is the only one that calls it a sign and then also has the angels blowing a trumpet when they gather God's elect. So when you take the image of trumpet and the image of sign, it is um, royal heraldry that you're talking about. So some people believe that there is some kind of cosmic banner that unfurls, some kind of flag that unfurls, that makes it very clear that this guy in the clouds, although I think it'll be pretty clear that the guy in the clouds is Jesus anyways, he doesn't need a, a banner, maybe there is some kind of banner, some kind of actual sign that shows up. The point is this, we will all see it not just waiting believers. So, you know, you work in your cubicle and you're busy and then, you know, because you're a Christian, you see this thing that happens and your non-believing cubicle mate doesn't see it? No. The Bible's clear. Everyone will see it. And it brings about this most interesting reaction because when you think about the return of Christ, there are some things that admittedly are very fearful about that. But there's something that's very good and very glorious about that. Are you going to freak out when Jesus comes back? It's the thing that you've hoped for. It's prophecy fulfilled. Your king has come. And yet when people see them, see it, it says that they will mourn. They will mourn. Prophecy is fulfilled. Jesus formerly came in weakness. Now he comes in power and glory. We see Daniel's image of the Son of Man coming in glory fulfilled. And when we talk about all the things that happen in the heavens and then this sign of the Son of Man in the sky... It's not like the signs in the heavens precede the sign of the Son of Man by like five weeks. I think we're talking about something that's happening in rapid fire sequence, perhaps minutes, perhaps hours. But the signs in the heavens are not given with enough precedent for you to prepare. The point is this, when the sign of the Son of Man appears, the opportunity for repentance is done. In the morning is not a happy morning, Finally, Jesus has come. It is the morning of regret because the time of repentance has passed. These signs, whatever they are, 
do not allow for preparation. Let that, let that sink in. That there will come a time where you will not be able to repent. That's a fearful thing for someone who is not a follower of Christ. Listen, that's a fearful thing for a Christian who wants to play around with sin and always assumes that tomorrow you can live right. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Respond today. A Christian who plays with sin is denying the master that has bought them. Don't play with it. It's never worth it. And he says that all people will see the sign. And for some people, it will be a sign of rejoicing. But for many, it will be a sign of terrible regret. We talk about the sun and the moon and the stars and the cosmic powers and people seeing the sign. It sounds like terrible and fearful news. But there is good news in the midst of this as well. One of the things that Jesus will do publicly is our third sub-point, that all the elected will get collected. He says it very clearly in verse 31. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Friends, listen, this is a mystery you're not going to be able to figure out. But there is no one who wants God as their king who will not be in heaven with him forever. God says that. There's not going to be somebody who stands before his tribunal and shakes their fist and says, you were unfair. I grew up on some island in the South Pacific and I never heard the gospel. No, they will say, I am a sinner. And for that alone, I am worthy of whatever judgment you send me. The point that he's making here is that everyone who belongs to God gets collected and he goes to every nook and cranny of the earth, to the four corners, to the winds, and he gathers them in for himself. That's good news. In the cosmic scale of eternity, you are but (laughs) teensy-weensy little person not even a fleck of dust on the camera of eternity. And God will make sure if you have trusted Christ that he collects you to himself. You ever gone on a trip, gotten an hour away, and realized you forgot something crucial, like your tent? (laughs) Some of you have lists for your lists to make sure you don't forget. There will not be any person who has trusted Christ who will not be collected when he comes. That is good news. Here's what the Bible says, just to run through it quickly. At his return, the souls of those who are faithfully departed will return with him, while those who are faithful and still living will be changed, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye. Quickly. And that we will then go to be with the Lord forever. When you just read Matthew 24, it doesn't seem like you need a whole bunch of charts and maps and multi-stage processes. He comes back and he takes us to be with him. And there's no kind of strange conversations about, well, he comes in the air, but he doesn't go all the way down. He just, he comes back. It's not convoluted. It's not complicated. You don't need some prophecy expert to tell you exactly what happens. He comes back and he takes his people to himself. It's that simple. This is an awesome picture. Awesome in the sense that it is fearful 
and awesome in the fact that it is to be celebrated depending on what team you happen to cheer for. Here is what God is doing. He is ushering in a time because it is, it is odd because there, there are all these passages about uh, the earth burning up, being rolled up as a scroll, old things passing away, new things coming. It is not complete and total destruction. So we know that the meek, they inherit the earth. We know that there is a new heavens and a new earth and there are people who live forever. What he is doing is he is bringing about the promise of Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. Listen to what the scripture says. There will come a day where there's no body cameras and no riots and no National Guard. There will come a day when the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling will be together and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze their young ones and they will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den None will harm or destroy another on my entire holy mountain. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. How full is the sea filled with water? All the way up. How full will our knowledge of the Lord be? As full as it is possible. You won't have to worry about missing the return of the Lord, it won't be secret, it will be public. But our second point, the return of the Lord is imminent. It is imminent. Admittedly, we have a little bit of a challenge when we try to take all of the biblical evidence and try to weigh it out together. Because Jesus is about to say, hey guys, there are some, there are some signs, there are some things that happen. Pay attention to the tree. Pay attention to the fig tree. There's a lesson he's about to turn. But then he comes and says, no man knows the day or the hour. All right, so which one is it? Are there signs that kind of lead up to us understanding what's happening? Or is it impossible for us? No, it's a little bit of both. And the best analogy that I can think of is the farmer who pays close attention to the seasons. I can imagine, you know, that there is somebody who does a little bit of gardening here. And uh, you're waiting, you're waiting for that first fruit to appear. And at dinner, conversation with your wife, you say, Tomorrow is going to be the day. That, that bud is going to break through. And you get up in the morning and you check your crops and you do whatever you need to do and it's dinner time again and the wife goes, well, and you go, no, one today. But you know what? I think it's going to be tomorrow. Now, he's not making a predictive prophecy. He just knows that the way that the seasons are going, it's coming. It could be tomorrow, but it might not. And when it doesn't happen, he's not disappointed because it's not like the entire process has been aborted. He just knows he's one step closer to harvesting the fruit. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about the parable of the fig tree in verses uh, 32 through 33. Listen to what the Bible says. Now then, learn this parable from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. And in the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near at the door. I assure you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, 
but my words will not pass away. Jesus here teaches us to have a hopeful expectation, not an audacious name it and claim it, here's when it's going to happen, but a hopeful expectation. Most trees in Palestine, I am told, I've not been there, I've not had that opportunity, are of the evergreen variety, but the fig tree particularly sheds its leaves in season, and it is very obvious when it is not in season because it is just a bunch of dead sticks. But being one of the latest uh, fruit trees to bloom in late spring, it is an unmistakable marker that winter is gone. That the fruit bearing of summer is upon you. When the fig tree blooms, you don't need to worry about any late frost because the time for late frosts has passed. As you see the buds beginning, you know the times of fruitfulness are close. And in the same way, Jesus says, when you see these things, you'll know this. He is near. He's near. Certainly we could all affirm that Jesus is one day closer than he was yesterday. He's near. I love this illustration. If you have, um, I don't know why I'm going with all the family vacation stuff, but if you were um, going to do a family vacation this summer and you were going to go to the Grand Canyon, Number one, if you have a lot of small kids, that will be a really long trip if you are driving. Are we there yet? 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 For like, whatever it is, 2,000 miles. Have fun with that. Here's what you do. You get out your GPS, you get in the interstate, you start driving west, and you drive, 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 drive. You're not doing this. You're on a mission because you know where you're going. You know what your destination is. And you drive to the Grand Canyon, and what do you do when you get to the Grand Canyon? Keep on driving straight. Would recommend that you don't do that. That's going to be a really bad family vacation. What do you do? You know, if you, you know how they track whales and you can watch them on a map? You know, if people were watching human migration, you know, we're going this way, going this way, going this way, going this way, and then the map tracker, we get to the edge and we just kind of walk right along the edge because that's where the scenery is really pretty. We're right on this razor blade looking in to watch the sun rise and to watch the sun set. But what have we done for the last two weeks? We have made a beeline to the edge and it's not going to take but a gust of wind. As a matter of fact, if you're my kids, you don't get close to the edge. You stay way back from the edge. We don't want you close to the edge. Same thing eschatologically. Everything in world history has raced to this point. And here's the thing that's odd. The second thing that Jesus says is not just that he is near, but he tells his disciples, you will see it. That's your second sub-point there. Okay, and that, that raises no small degree of consternation because he says, certainly, amen, verily, verily, I say to you, there are some here in this generation who will not taste death before these things come to pass. There are some people who think that Jesus was absolutely royally wrong, that he thought his second coming was going to happen within the lifetime, within the next 30 or 40 years from his uh, resurrection and ascension. I would submit to you that when he says that these things will come to pass, he's not saying that everything needs to be completed, but that the things need to be begun. So here's, here's a quick trivia question for you. Did the disciples in Jesus' day see wars? He says, yes. Did they see rumors of war? Did they see famines? Did they see earthquakes? Did they see tribulation? Did they see persecution? Did they receive hatred? Yes. 
within the lifetime of the first disciples, they saw everything they needed to see that would precede Christ's return, except for those very few things that will only happen right before he returns. Okay, you got that? You want to know something even freakier? You have too. Thank you. All right, now I've completely lost my train of thought. That's why preachers shouldn't get away from their pulpit. No, here's the point. There are some things yet to happen that have not happened yet. Sun, moon, stars, cosmic powers. Have we not, perhaps even this week, been reminded how broken our world is? I love this statement because it strikes me as one that is just incredibly humble. G.K. Chesterton, a fantastic author and theologian, friend of uh, C.S. Lewis's, J.R. Tolkien, Dorothy Sayers, he was one of the Inklings, when, when asked what is wrong with the world, kind of did the philosopher grab your chin and think about it? And he said, I don't need to think about that very long at all. What's wrong with the world? I am. Would anybody else agree with that statement this morning? Even in the way that you have processed the junk that has happened in Charlotte, you have probably sinned. Because we can't even think through our own life in a way that glorifies God. We get angry about things that maybe don't even necessarily affect us directly. And we get so offended because we think that we're so sovereign. And we are so willful, even as believers in Christ, that we deny the master who bought us because we're so concerned about our own comfort and convenience. And the Bible says this, the disciples in their own lifetime saw everything they needed to see to precede the return of Christ except for a very slim margin of issues. And the same is true for us. All these things have begun, they have started and the people who lived in Jesus' generation in the first century saw that and so have we. And Jesus concludes by giving this precious truth to encourage disciples. He says, son, the son, yeah, it's toast. The moon, it's gone. The stars, yeah, don't try to navigate by those at night anymore. They're going to be eradicated. As a matter of fact, all of the heavens will be rolled up like a scroll. Everything we know will pass away except for one thing. The world and all the things of it will pass away, but God's word will not. It's true. It's eternal. And so when we think about the opportunity to listen to God's word in public worship, to promote God's word in personal conversation, to publish God's word by helping people to distribute it. We are participating in something that is eternal. So here's the question. It is a fundamental of our faith that we believe that Jesus will return. And we don't think that there's a big encyclopedia book of stuff that's got to happen before he can come back. We believe it's imminent. There's actually very little that has to happen. There's not going to be much warning. He can return quickly. 
What if it happened today? If you had the relationship with God, and he called you up and said, uh, all right, Donnie, looking at my day planner, I think tomorrow's going to be the day. Is that okay with you? No, I'm not picking on Donnie. It could be any of you. What conversations would you want to have to say, no, Lord, not, not yet. I haven't told my brother. I haven't told my uncle. I've been too intimidated to have that conversation with my father. I don't know what my kids know or don't know. What if it happened today? Would it be a day of regret for you? God has given us a precious gift in his son by giving us the confidence that when the end of days come that we can have confidence do you realize how audacious that is to say you know i I get this picture of you know a christian kind of standing forth boldly you know chest out like superman while the sun fizzles out and while the moon disappears and the stars fall from the heaven and it looks like all of creation is falling apart and the christian has the confidence to look in Jesus' face and to trust and not be shaken. To not freak out at what is happening. He has given us His Son. He has given us His Word to warn us and to prepare us. So what do we do while we wait? We don't worry, but we do work. The Bible says, knowing the fear of God we persuade men. Knowing the fear of God, we cut through deception and we fight personal temptation. Knowing the fear of God, we persevere through tribulation and persecution to persuade men. Knowing the fear of God, we proclaim the gospel because we don't believe that anyone will be saved apart from trusting in Christ alone. So however long he delays... What will you do with your weight? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you put the burden and conviction upon our hearts, that we stop thinking that our life, 70 years if it be that, is all about us. Help us not to look on our website at the return on our you know, 401k and not think about the return on the investment that we're making with the gospel. It is easy for us to look to our own comfort and convenience. It is easy for us to pad our own lifestyle and to forget that you have purchased us to be your ambassadors Father, we're, on, we're in, on foreign soil. We're reminded that this world is not our home and that it is but a temporary habitation. I pray that you will help us to work for that city that you promise us is coming who has a builder who is not man. It is made by God, reserved in heaven for us who believe and who work while we wait. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.